Well, a U.S. ketchup manufacturer recently announced that it would be buying a brand new boat for a man with the curious name Elvis Francois. Elvis Francois is a 47-year-old Caribbean man who was rescued at sea earlier this year, 2023. Quote, Heinz and Elvis are working out the logistical details of gifting him his new boat, the company said. Anyone who shared, liked, or commented on the brand's post helped broaden the reach and played an important part in finding Elvis. And Heinz wants to thank everyone who helped. Well, why would Kraft Heinz, the world's third largest food and beverage company, buy Elvis Francois a boat? Well, in January of this year, ocean currents swept, swept Elvis into open water as he was trying to repair his boat. He fought to stay alive for 24 days in the Caribbean Sea, collecting rainwater and consuming, amongst other things, a bottle of Heinz ketchup. (laughs) Hence the company's interest. So Heinz received lots of free publicity, and I actually thought, I wonder if sailors now are saying, yeah, we better put a bottle of Heinz on board just in case. And Elvis gets a new boat too. But that's not what interests me about the story. There's Elvis Francois, 120 nautical miles northwest of the northernmost point of South America. He's lost at sea and alone. Now he scrawls help in English on the top of his boat, but there's nobody to see him. So how is he rescued? Well, he took out a little pocket mirror. And with the little mirror, he reflected the light of the sun against a passing airplane. And a pilot flying hundreds of miles an hour, thousands of feet above the ocean, saw it. Now, it's not the mirror, right? It's not like, oh, that's a really good pocket mirror. No, it's the light of the sun. If you have one of these little mirrors and you shine it, reflecting the light of the sun on a clear open day, it can travel, that light can travel seven miles. A single candle lit in the dark can be seen a mile away. Light is extraordinary. Light attracts our attention. It attracted the attention of that pilot and Elvis Francois was saved. Light saved Elvis Francois. And as we'll see in a moment, light saves us too. Well, let's look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 7 together. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him 
While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading and exposition of his holy word. Well, I want us to consider this passage under three headings this morning. Light, truth, and blood. Light, truth, and blood. Before we uh, talk about light, truth, and blood, though, let's, let's understand that the message of John here is he's, he's asking the question, he's answering the question, I should say, what does real fellowship require? Fellowship serves as the background of these verses in 1 John chapter 1. He's already talked about fellowship in verse 3. He's writing that you too may have fellowship with us, indeed, as we have fellowship with the Father and with the Lord Jesus Christ. He now, in these verses, reiterates this concern that we have fellowship with one another and fellowship with God. Verse 6 says, if we say we have fellowship with God, but we walk in darkness, we lie. Verse 7 says, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So how do we have fellowship with God and with one another? Well, light, truth, and blood. We must walk in the light, we must practice the truth, and we must be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. So first, light. That's in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John begins with a theological truth. His message that he's received from God, that he proclaims to them now, is that God is light. We do not have to speculate about who God is. God himself has made it known who he is. God is is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, when you think of light, I wonder what you, what you think. The word light can mean many different things in Scripture, but I want us to think about two. The first is light as illumination, the thing that we see by, but also, which I think chiefly concerns John here, is the light, the purity of light. The untouchableness of light. Now, first, let's think about how light helps us see. Often in Scripture, uh, light is seen as, God is seen as the source of divine illumination. Uh, The Westminster Shorter Catechism speaks this way in my favorite answer to any question in the Catechism, which is, what is effectual calling? What does God the Holy Spirit do? He enlightens our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renews our will. University mottos love to take Bible verses in Latin and, uh, and, and, and have some kind of variation of light. So Oxford University's motto is the Lord is my light in Latin, taken from Psalm 27. Uh, Columbia University's uh, motto is in your light, we shall see light, which is taken from Psalm 36, 9. And God does indeed illuminate everything, right? By God's light, we see everything. But John's statement here, I think, is focused on the purity of light, the untouchableness of light. Light has a curious feature. It touches everything. 
but it's untouched by anything. You know, if I take out my uh, fetching pocket handkerchief, if I have a bloody nose, which I hope doesn't happen during the sermon, but if I have a bloody nose and I take my mostly white or whitish uh, pocket handkerchief and I apply it to my nose, what's going to happen? The handkerchief is going to turn red. It's going to get bloody. But light shines on the amber, ra- ra- amber waves of grain and it isn't touched by it. Light can descend, light does descend down into the murkiest muck, the very bottom of the pigsty, and light is untouched by it. There is a purity and a brilliance to light. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is pure and holy. He's unsullied by the disgusting things of this world. He is full of dazzling glory. God is light. Darkness has no place in God. In fact, darkness flees before the light that God is. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3, uses four proof texts in order to say that God is not the author of sin. If anybody ever says, God does wickedness. That person's lying because God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. The Nicene Creed, which was adopted in 325 and amended in 381, uses the imagery of light when the the creed wants to communicate to us that Jesus is very God of very God. What does the creed say? And we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. God of God, light of light. That is who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And so it is no wonder that Jesus in his earthly ministry when he touched the unclean, was not made unclean by the touching. When Jesus in Mark chapter 1 touches a leper, the leper becomes whole. The leprosy flees. The darkness flees before the light of light. When the Son of God touches you, you cannot make him dirty. He makes you clean. And the application before us is clear. Walk in the light. Follow God, who is the light, by walking in his ways. Do not walk in darkness. Well, what does that mean? To walk in the light is to strive for purity and holiness and to be as best as able to be at peace with all men. That's to walk in the light. To walk in darkness means to stumble around, following your own wicked desires, wherever they would take you. So, Covenant Church, walk in the light. Second, so God is light. Second, we see this emphasis in verse 6 on truth. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
Now, verse 6 begins a series of conditional statements, if-then statements. So, verse 6, if we say, verse 7, if we walk, verse 8, if we say, verse 9, if we confess, verse 10, if we say. It even goes into chapter 2, verse 1. If anyone does sin. So, why do we use conditional statements? I think that we use conditional statements, if-then statements, when we assume some measure of agreement, but then recognize that there could be some disagreement on one point or another. So a politician may say, if you love America, vote for me. A professor could say, now if you want to graduate on time, then you need to take my ethics class this fall. Now what's assumed in these if-then statements is some kind of agreement. You love America. You want to graduate on time. But then a recognition that there could be some kind of disagreement, right? Maybe you're going to vote for the other guy. He's a schmuck. Don't vote for him. Maybe you're going to take some other class. Well, if you want to remain in ignorance. But uh, here, so here in John 1, here in 1 John 1, John recognizes a shared desire for us all to say we have fellowship with God. Oh, we have fellowship with God. And John says, but here's the thing. You have to walk in the light. Claiming to be a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. You have to walk in the light. A Christian name tag doesn't count. It's Christian footsteps that do. Notice John's curious expression in verse six. He says that we, we lie and do not practice the truth. Don't we usually tell the truth or learn the truth? We, I mean, some of us practice instruments, sometimes grumbling, right? We, we, but, we, but here he says, practice the truth. Practice the truth. God wants us to do truth. Do truth. Think about that for a moment. True theology, true thoughts about God are always theoretical and practical. That is to say, true theology is always a looking at, a beholding at, an appreciating that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. But it's also practice because we are transformed by the light. Walking in the light does not make you a Christian. That is to confuse the effect with the cause. What causes you to walk in the light is God, the Holy Spirit, working in your heart so that you not only recognize intellectually what God requires, but you love it. You delight to glory and honor the Lord Jesus and how you live. The effect of God, the Holy Spirit working in your heart is that you walk in the light. Now, for some of us, let's be clear, it doesn't look pretty. But he doesn't say walk in the light perfectly. He says walk in the light. Ignorance and wickedness are the twin touchstones of unbelief, right? 
If you're ignorant of God, you don't know God. If you are, are living a wicked life, you don't know God. If you claim that you belong to Jesus, but do not live as Jesus requires, then you're a liar. Strong words. You're a liar and you do not practice the truth. As Jesus himself says in in John's gospel, chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. We know even in our corrupt age, people are horrified at gross instances of lying. Now, you know, fiction books are like Harry Potter where somebody has a creative world. And a nonfiction book is supposed to be about fact, right? And so uh, Ron Chernow's biography of Alexander Hamilton, that's, that, is a, that is a nonfiction book. A fiction book is, you know, stories that you make up. Well, the Manly Library in Sydney, Australia, created quite a stir when a sign was seen on a bookshelf in the library. I'll just read it to you. All nonfiction Lance Armstrong books, including Lance Armstrong, Images of a Champion, the Lance Armstrong Performance Program, and Lance Armstrong, World's Greatest Champion, will soon be moved to the fiction section. (laughs) That is to say, it's all made up. Now, the library disavowed the notice and said it was a hoax and that they'd launch an investigation, but still the point had been made. Lance Armstrong was a liar. He was stripped of all his wins from August 1998 forward, including a then-record seven Tour de France wins. The point of the joke was that what he had written about himself as though it was true was a lie. And it's interesting because, let's be honest, I am sure that Lance Armstrong is a champion cyclist. I am confident, I mean, his, his recovery from cancer to go back into the sport is admirable. It, it, it's remarkable. And nevertheless, the lie will be with him forever. Also, just as a little aside, uh, they didn't give the Tour de France wins to anybody else in all of those years because there was reasonable belief that everybody was cheating, that there wasn't anybody that they could give the award to. So you can claim to be the best and be exposed in cycling. And that, that can cost you in this life. But if you lie about your standing with Jesus then it will cost you in this life and in the life of the world to come. Practice the truth. Do the truth. Walk in the light, but also practice the truth. Now you say, how do, you pra- how, how do we practice the truth? How do, how do we practice the truth? Well, I, I've got some ideas. So uh, if you read your Bible in the morning, which you should do, and in your, during, as you're reading your Bible, you're convicted that you need to forgive somebody who wronged you, or you need to say sorry to somebody that you've wronged, then you need to do that. And it may not look pretty. 
You, you may all too awkwardly or too proudly say sorry. The person that uh, you forgive, you may still wrestle with unforgiveness in your heart, but you're practicing the truth. You know what you need to do. Similarly, if you, if you learn from uh, your Bible, Bible reading or a Sunday school class here at the church or during a sermon, that what you thought was good and admirable and was walking in the light, you become convicted that, no, 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 I, I praise that and I delight that, but that's walking in darkness. Then you need to repent. You need to turn away from your sin. You need to confess your sin to God and walk away from the darkness and walk into the light. Will it be just like that? Hopefully, but probably not. But the question is, will you practice the truth? Finally, um, one of the things that I love about the way that we structure worship is number one, I think it's biblical, uh, but then also it helps us all. If you're struggling to practice the truth, and how do I sing praises to God? Well, we help you out. How do I confess my sins to God? We've got something written for you, right? We, we don't leave you alone. How, how should I study the Bible? Well, hopefully we model it from the pulpit. You go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So practice the truth and don't be discouraged. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God is a good savior. And we do this when we walk in the light and when we practice the truth, we have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with each other. So light, truth, and finally blood. In verse seven, we see blood. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, you may think that all you have to do to be right with God is walk in the light and practice the truth. All right, I'll just walk in the light, practice the truth. John very quickly wants to rid you of that deep misunderstanding because something more is needed than you just walking in the light and practicing the truth. Words alone do not bring us into fellowship with God. A feeling is not sufficient proof that you have a right standing with God. We must be cleansed. We must be cleansed. Now, when you think of cleansing, I think you usually think of soap and water, right? But here, John says, we must be cleansed by his blood. The blood of Jesus must make us clean from all our sins. This is an Old Testament idea, and it is a New Testament idea. Leviticus chapter 16 makes very clear that we need the blood to cleanse us. Only the blood can remove our iniquities from us and make us right with God so that we can have fellowship. We must have blood. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 22, reflecting on this practice of the Jews. 
He says, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Why is blood required for sin? Why? Well, all in Genesis chapter 2, what does God say to our first parents, Adam and Eve? He says, if you eat of this tree, what? You will surely die. So from Genesis 2, sin and death are conjoined. And what does Paul say in Romans 3? Romans 1 and 2, everybody sins. Romans 3, the wages of sin is death. And gloriously, on the cross, when Jesus died, he said, it is finished. The work is done. The penalty has been paid. Now we know that Jesus died, but he didn't, he didn't stay dead. Why? Because light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And so on the third day, he rose again and he's calling us into relationship with him. People from all over the world are trusting in Jesus, the light of life, true God of true God, true light of true light. Blood says we must take our sin very seriously. The light and affectionate touch I give to my pet sins is reprehensible to Almighty God. But because God is gracious and merciful to us, we do not pay for our sins ourselves in hell forever because Jesus bore the punishment for our sins on the cross. I give Jesus my sin, my wickedness, my darkness. He gives me heavenly favor and light, and joy. He is a great and good Savior. Now, the opposite, the opposite of being forgiven by the blood of Christ is not being forgiven by some other way. There is no other way. The opposite of forgiveness through the blood of Jesus, is unforgiveness. It is unforgiveness. Consider the following quote, and as I read it, try to guess who said it. Our national virtue is our national weakness. We do not want to change all that much, and as long as our world-famed good nature does no great harm, why should we? Don't be too good-natured, since our enemies are not noble enough to overlook our mistakes. Carelessness here is not only a weakness, it is a disregard of duty and a crime against the security of the state. One of the most effective defenses, one of the most effective defenses 
is an unforgiving, cold hardness against the destroyers of our people, against the instigators of the war, against those who would benefit if we lose, and therefore also against the victims if we win. Who is encouraging people to cultivate an unforgiving, cold hardness? Joseph Goebbels, Hitler's propagandist. The title of the essay, The Jews Are Guilty. The date, November 16th, 1941. The path of unforgiveness is not the path to national glory, but to personal destruction. Goebbels committed suicide at the end of the war after committing acts so inhumane and unnatural I decided not to speak them in church on Sunday morning. So what will it be? Will you be cleansed by the blood of Jesus or will you pursue an unforgiving cold hardness towards God and towards neighbor? We cannot do that. I implore you on Christ's behalf, receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Be cleansed by the blood so that you can practice the truth and walk in the light. I don't, I mean, I was about to say, I don't know if you've ever been in the dark. Of course you've been in the dark, but I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where uh, it's dark, but you see light ahead. So maybe you've been hiking in a, in a, a forest with a thick canopy, or you've been in some kind of cold building uh, like an office that I have at JBU where sometimes I've worn my outside jacket inside because I'm so cold. You know, So you're in this cold building or you're walking through the forest and you see the light ahead. And there's that moment when you step out into the light and you feel the warmth of the sun on your skin and it's resplendent in just its beauty and you feel warm and content inside. That is a small taste of conversion. When you are in the darkness of your soul and you hear the preaching of the gospel or somebody is telling you, Jesus died for you, all the wrongs that you have done can be wiped away. Step into the light. Step into the light, feel the warmth of the light of the Son of God and be set free. Do it, don't delay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that if there's anyone here who has not embraced the light of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, would you give that person eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand? Lord, we pray that those of us who walk in the light and do it not as fervently as we would wish, those of us who practice the truth, however falteringly, would you give us strength to more doggedly pursue the one who pursued us, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his strong and powerful name we pray. Amen.